Welcome to Small Business Big Network, the podcast for small business owners who want big results from their networking. I'm Liz Drury, a freelance voiceover artist who knows that if you're not working, then networking could help. Dr. Sarah Bryan is a therapist specialising in freeing clients from long-term pain. As someone who's been blind since birth, she also helps people who've experienced sight loss. When it comes to networking, she's found it a really useful way to get to know people in a new area and to prevent loneliness. Thank you very much for being my podcast guest today, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Liz. It's great. Now, before we talk about your business, I'd just like to delve a little bit into your background. So you've got a PhD and I understand that you're one of only a handful of blind people in the UK to have achieved this. So what's your PhD in and why did you want to do it? Um, goodness only knows would be the answer to both. Um, <laughs> my, my PhD was in human communication science, which to your lay person, it's speech and language therapy and related disciplines. So a bit of linguistics, bit of psychology, bit of anatomy, bit of, bit of research method, all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and yeah it's about speech and language therapy and communication and what goes wrong with communication and you know you could write a PhD just on that really but um so that was my PhD why did I want to do one um with hindsight I I thought I wanted to pursue a career in academia as it turned out that actually was not what I wanted to do at all um I trained as a speech therapist for two years and things started to go wrong because I've got total sight loss and when kids aren't talking because they know you want to listen to them talking they'll do the opposite and they'll go and do a load of visual stuff mm. and I can't work out what's going on mm. and the way that you interact with children in clinic is it's very sort of toy and game based and again um, if little Johnny was rocking back on his chair or throwing his marbles on the floor I could not control the situation or mm. indeed deal with it so anyway I went down an academic route thinking I could work alongside speech therapists but it just took me away from human interaction altogether really so um, that was why I did one um, it was uh, not not my best idea but I don't regret <laughs> it I don't regret it either I have to say you sound quite similar to me in that I did a PhD and I thought that academia was where I wanted mm. to be and by the time I'd finished it I knew that I really didn't yeah. <laughs> so, no, as you say not, no, it's never a, it's never a waste is it no. because you there are things that you learn doing doing a PhD that you you draw on draw on again later in in your life oh it's very useful because in my current industry there are very few of us with PhDs and there's more emphasis in health and well-being on research so I'm one of the people that can actually come on board read a paper work out whether the, the study design is any good that kind of thing mm. which a lot of healthcare professionals just don't have that background in yeah so, so once you'd um, once you'd done that that qualification what did you go on to do next have you always worked for yourself since then yeah, so actually it was while I was doing my PhD, I was so miserable doing my PhD that I decided I needed an antidote. So I went and trained as a therapist alongside uh, my um, PhD work. So it was it was mental because I wanted to come out in 2012 with my initial therapy qualifications plus um, just to get the PhD done. I felt morally obliged to complete my PhD because, well, I had a stipend for it, Mm. um, but the university had also invested in me in terms of tuition fees so that I I would have quit, quite honestly, I would have done, but that did feel like there was a moral obligation to the university for basically keeping me for three years. (laughs) 
So tell me about what you do now then. I know you work with two different groups of clients, mm. people who experience pain and people who experience sight loss. So how did that all, all come about? And uh, let's talk first about the, the freedom from pain work that you do. Mm. Thank you. Yes. So I, I trained as a therapist and I guess over the years I've I've developed many more skills, got many more qualifications and it's the kind of person I gravitate to. So a midlife woman who is struggling to find effective treatment for unresolved physical pain. So this is not, I broke my ankle last week. This, mm. is, this has been going on for at least three months and possibly for years or decades. And now I help them become pain-free for good so that they feel younger and rediscover the fun in life. That sounds amazing. So what, what kind of pain do you have people presenting with? Is it things like backache for example backache yeah of course um is the the common one um it matters not where in the body it is so much but but sort of how it's impacting on their life so if you think about backache um on the face of it it's just backache but if that's then stopping the person being able to lie comfortably in bed and therefore sleep mm. and then mean that they're being grumpy with their children and their spouse because they're tired and then they can't work, the effect of that back pain is far reaching and they can't play golf anymore, which is the one thing they used to love and mm. so on and so forth. Um, life can just spiral downwards very, very quickly. Um, so I work with that and... It doesn't have to be back pain. It could be something like fibromyalgia, where basically mm. the, the immune system's kicking off big time. Um, or someone who's had surgery for something that saved their lives, but they're still in a lot of pain from scars. And I work a lot with migraines and jaw tension as well. So, I mean, all sorts of pain. But really, um, because it has so many impacts, it needs several different strings to get them out of pain. So mm. it's not just about putting your hands on their body and sorting it out, but... What are they eating? What are they? What what's going on in their mind? Because I very seldom see anyone with pain who hasn't had some trauma. And I say, oh, mm. what's been going on in your personal life? If you don't mind me asking, and they'll say, oh, funny, you should mention that all this kicked off when my grandma died. Mm. Okay, so unraveling all that side of things too. That was a multifaceted is pain, and so it needs a multifaceted approach to to get you out. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. So, what would happen to, for these people if they just went to see their GP and said, "Look, I've got backache." What What's likely to happen through the NHS? People listening to this right now might go GP question <laughs> mark. Um, at the moment, you hear so many stories of people completely unable to mm. get an appointment with their GP, yep. or if they can, it's for weeks. But if they are fortunate enough to see their GP, then typically, well, the, the GP will rule out anything that's life-threatening or anything that's easily treatable with medication. And, and long-term pain tends to not fall into yeah. either of those categories. So in that case, they might be referred for physio. They might have had to wait three months, but now it could easily be longer. And when they do see a physio, that physio only has X number of sessions to work with them. They will give them a predetermined sheet of exercises. There may not be any physical examination, really. And then they'll go, a bit, I'll go away and do your exercises and we'll see you again in a few weeks. If that hasn't um, worked, then they, they might well be referred on for procedures like, like injections, nerve blockers, steroid injections for shoulders and elbows, that kind of thing which may or may not work and mm. have risks associated with them. And 
then also they may be offered surgery, which again, a lot of doctors actually don't want to operate, but it is their hands are tied. The NHS are great, but their, their hands are tied by the system as to what they can actually offer. Um, so they may be offered surgery because that's the protocol rather than because that's actually what they need. Mm. So tell me about what, what you do for your clients. Okay, so we work with natural uh, we work with the body, we work with natural methods, really. So um, it's a combination of multiple modalities and multiple experts in the team who all talk to each other. So we're a multidisciplinary team. We all discuss the individual client. I will put the team together for the client. So these are your challenges. This is the solution that's needed to move you forward. And this is how we're going to do it. And then I will project manage that team. So I will do a lot of the hands-on work, the body work, and then other members of the team will work on mindset, exercise, nutrition, trauma, any of those things that, that might be sleep, perhaps, that might be contributing to, to the pain. Um, and if we need somebody new, we, we get someone new on board. So we're evolving with the clients. Mm. The, clients the clients' need is our demand, really, yeah. our command. So it's really a holistic approach, isn't it? It is, although the word holistic is so bandied about and <laughs> wrongly used these days. You know, you you might go to a spa and be offered a holistic facial mm. <laughs> by someone who you will never see again. And I'm sure it's a very nice treatment. But you know, how, how can a one-hour treatment, in a sense, be, be holistic? Because I think what's holistic is actually moving forward with that person. Mm journeying with them, finding out what does work, and there will be bumps in the road. So if you work together for a period of time, you overcome those bumps and then get real progress, but you, you do have to, to find your way around the bumps to get that progress. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. So tell me about some of the successes you've had and the, the difference that's been made to people's lives. Okay, so um, Jane, who I've actually recently just sort of finished working with in the best possible way, she came to me with um, a calcified tendon in her shoulder. So mm. actually sort of bony deposits had started to um, to form in that shoulder. And she was waiting for um, injections and things like that. Uh, and we worked together, her and her team. Um, and not only did we work on what was going on in her shoulder, but we also worked on some of her boundaries. She was putting other people in her life and in her family before herself in a way that ultimately wasn't serving her, or, mm. or them, perhaps. So unpicking and unpacking that and working with the exercise specialist because she wanted to go back to the gym. So... For me, it was about educating her to do the right things in the right order. And I said, yes, you will go back to the gym. It's not that you can't ever do these things again. It's just that you can't do them right now because mm. something else has to happen first. Um, so you've got to, got to walk before you can run. Uh, and so that, that, was, that was her. And now she has very little pain, the occasional niggle. She knows what to do when she gets one. And she's now... Um, a lot better in her boundaries, got more energy at work, she's sleeping better, and she's sort of feeling lighter and more confident, mm. and she still hasn't got her NHS appointment yet. <laughs> but she doesn't need it. Yes, yes. Well, that, that, that's that's great. But, um, you know, if she can avoid having to go down the, the surgery route or the injections mm. route or, you know, the um, mm. invasive things, really. 
Absolutely. You know, I will work with the NHS as well in the sense that I had... I had a lady recently, she was much older, she she came to me with problem with the sort of carpal tunnel, or she thought it was carpal tunnel, I don't think it was, mm. um, and a lot of aches and pains in her knees and hips. She'd had a hip replacement, she was waiting for a knee replacement. I worked with her for three months to get her body moving. She threw away a walking stick after two sessions. Wow. <laughs> uh, and I said, I don't need this anymore. And she then went off after three months and had her knee replacement. And we obviously waited for her to recover. Then I got permission from her consultant to recommence treatment. Mm. And then we, we got her in the best possible place before the surgery and then could continue to rehab her after mm. surgery because she had that help around the, the knee replacement. So I'm not in any way anti-conventional treatment it's just that it has its limitations and certainly the way things are currently within the health service um, we can certainly we can certainly help them it could be a good strategic alliance for, yes. for us and for the patients yes and, and I'm sure doing that kind of work with you means that people recover quicker oh she did I mean she said to me this lady was 81 and she said, I felt I came in feeling like an old crock and now I feel like a spring chicken. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. So tell me about the um, the work you do with your, your sight loss clients, the, the other side of your business. Yes, yeah, so this is something I developed in the pandemic when, like everybody else, we couldn't mm-hmm. see people face to face. And without sight and without being able to put my hands on people, I felt a little um, scuppered. <laughs> um <laughs> So I developed a pandemic pivot, if you will, where, where I could actually speak to people on the phone or online and put the team together. But my input was very much, um, my input was actually as a mentor. Mm. Because if I couldn't serve people in pain, then as my mentor asked me, who can you serve? And people with sight loss, you know, you don't, you don't go through university education, a PhD, getting married, buying a house, running your own business with sight loss without learning a thing or two about A, the challenges and B, how to mm. get around them. So I've had I've had three clients for that now, all of whom were very stuck in their careers or struggling around self-belief because I think when you have sight loss or any additional challenges for that matter, you're trying to convince the rest of society all the time that yes you can Mm. you are not just disabled that you are differently able Mm. and I think when if you are surrounded by people who struggle to believe in you it can be very difficult to maintain that belief in yourself Mm. Um, because you you've got the naysayers and they mean you no harm they want to keep you safe but actually ships are safe in a harbour but they, they'd never do any good um, <laughs> within the harbour so yeah a lot of issues around self-belief earning money and getting them on track so one lady now has started her own holistic therapy business and she oh, she lost the sight and she was already visually impaired so she mm. made depth perception errors so she had a freak accident at work that took out one eye literally took out one oh. eye um and then she had an accident because she misjudged the distance between herself and a table and took out the other eye no. and then landed up completely blind. 
and she just felt that every time she was beginning to get somewhere in life, the rug got pulled out mm. from under. So she had to believe in herself to even start anything again, and she did. And now she's won some awards and some volunteering awards, and she's done a doing a charity walk, and she's completely different. Um, and then another lady I've been working with is a blind artist, mm. and she wanted to sell her pictures and her paintings. And sometimes I have to be the voice of realism because I know that it is as damaging for somebody with additional challenges to be told they can do anything as to be told they can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. You've got, it's got to, it's got to be, and I hate the word realistic, but it has got to be achievable. Mm. And so she wanted to sell her artwork and I, I actually got some opinions on her artwork and we felt that she could better use her ability using using her art not to sell it in its own right but to inspire other people through a public speaking role so she's now going off to do talks mm. and using her art as this is something I love doing I mean it's amazing that she can draw in the detail that she can but at the same time it'll never be a Rembrandt mm. and we know that so it's like well, what can we do with this and it's okay, it's not originally what you thought it was going to look like, but what can you do? Um, and now she's looking to build a public speaking career, using the art, maybe giving it to people that she does talks to, as a symbol of, yes, you can achieve against the odds. Mm. And if someone's got a piece of artwork that was drawn by someone who's blind, um, just from her memories of sight before she lost it, I think that could serve as a great inspiration. So yeah. that's how she can best use that particular ability. So it's thinking around the problem, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, since the pandemic, we can now go back and meet face to face and mm. you you can go back to do, doing the client work that you used to do that was very hands on. Mm. But presumably you're, you're, you're going to continue with this other work too now, are you? Yes, I think so. Um, I certainly have more work in the sort of freedom from pain. Um, but yeah, why why not? And something that happened as well, as I was starting to do this work, I was training with a mentor who used to help people with business and employment. And he was training me up to take over from, we've got a, uh, a mailing list to take over from the work he was doing. And actually, before he'd finished my training, he died of COVID. Oh, no. Um, he was already poorly, but didn't quite realise how poorly. Mm. And so, yeah, he was. she was training me up. And the day I got my first blind client was the day I found out that my supervisor had died. Oh. So I was on my own and a lovely lady in the community just said, don't worry, you, you don't have to try and replace him. And it, it, it's true. I know that I, I knew from sort of just praying about it, really, that... I didn't have to be a replica of him. And indeed, mm. he, he had some fairly outmoded ideas because he was quite elderly and <laughs> some of his ideas didn't work anymore. Um, but I could, I didn't have every skill he had, but I had some that he didn't. And so I didn't need to try and be anyone else but me and be authentic with it. Yeah. So let's have a little chat now about, about networking. How do you use networking in your business and the, the two strands of your business? Um, yes, they're quite different, really. Uh, my husband's job has moved me around a lot. So it's been kind of, as I was just setting up a business, we would have to up sticks <laughs> and starting to get some success. 
And that the first time we had to move, it was a real wrench because I've been in Sheffield 13 years and I had no desire to leave mm. at all. I had friends, I had a church, I, you know, I was quite happy, thank you very much, apart from with the weather. <laughs> um, so um, when my husband's job took us down to Exeter, which sort of, it barely feels like it's still in civilization by comparison, <laughs> it's a very tiny, very pretty city um, with quite small transport links really not 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 that easy if you can't see yeah. Exeter um, and so I was suddenly out on a limb and I was doing stuff on trying to get things out on Facebook social media um, leaflets and things like that but I wasn't networking two years after we moved I still felt lonely and mm. I felt new and I, I just I still didn't want to be there any any bit as much as I did on day one I was just I was utterly miserable and then I went to a networking event for networking. And I was just like, why the heck didn't you do this so much sooner? <laughs> and, you know, I had to learn a few things about gratitude and about just being out there and meeting people and giving over a positive energy, mm. which people would want to hear more than the new tale of woe and misery. So I think that was quite an important learning for me in Exeter. And then Matt's job, my husband's job, moved us here to Bracknell near Reading. And I started BNI straight away. I gave myself a couple of you know weeks to find my way around the house and get to the local shops. And then I was uh, out visiting a BNI. And throughout the pandemic, which hit not so long after I moved here, we stayed in BNI on Zoom um for networking I uh, we did a little bit I, I stopped doing that in the end I now do Athena which is still on zoom and yeah I feel like I know someone who does most things around here and if yeah I, I don't know the answer I can find out yeah and it, you know I've got a business that 2021 was my best year ever 2022 we're not quite there yet um but but 2021 was fantastic and there's still time but it's meant that I've never been on my own and in the pandemic if I'd taken the same approach to moving to to Bracknell as I did to Exeter I could have been very lonely indeed Mm. and Mm. it is about getting out there and people knowing what you do who you are who you serve and that feeds you with positive energy and inspiration as well Um, you know that the whole social media and everything has its place but there is no replacement for like you said face-to-face human contact and even with zoom I think really now people just want to see each other don't they yeah (laughs) I think that's true Mm. so when when it comes to networking you know people have all sorts of issues with it and your dread of going into the room where they don't know people and so on I imagine for you there's probably extra challenges and how do you overcome those I think it's just being honest with people beforehand like I'm being in the room I don't know anyone I will need you to can you introduce me to people and make sure that they do as well I mean in the ideal world I would take an assistant with me to network but I can't get someone to come out at half past six in the morning I've tried. <laughs> yeah. and they're either either they're in bed or they've got kids to get off to school or, or whatever mm-hmm. so it's actually quite a challenge so I found it easier just to talk to them beforehand and explain and now now I know about standing up and not not just sitting in my seat but someone actually had to tell me that yes Um, yeah because when you sit down people think you don't want to talk to anyone but I didn't know that that's what people were doing so it took someone who was nice to say how about we walk around the room together and talk to people and actually yeah that'd be good yeah good Uh, but if you if you don't know how it works but yeah you need to work the room 
everyone's there just like you are to talk about their business. So, you know, if you're afraid of it for yourself, go and ask them about them. People love talking about yes, them. Absolutely. Ask them what they do and what brings them here and then they'll return the favour. Yeah, definitely. Now, you and I uh, met very recently at the um, Best Business Women's Award in London. And uh, so you were nominated in the Inspirational Business Women's Award and I was nominated in the Best Service Business category. How did you find the event as a, as a networking opportunity? Um, it was it was a lovely event. Um, I think, but because it was it was quite loud and and quite busy. I think it was useful that I had reached out to as many people as I could before to actually leverage the networking opportunity so that I felt like I knew the people in the room. And I couldn't get to speak to everybody, but you and I got to chat. Yeah. And a few, you know, I did get to have quite a few one to ones, uh, made a few links. So I think if in itself just as a networking opportunity it's not what happens in the room they always say the fortune is in the follow-up don't they yes yes it's it's not actually what happens in the big room crowded room full of busy people and there was quite loud entertainment and it was quite actually difficult to speak to people at times Um, and that was great but I think it was good because I'd done the work beforehand and now I've written to all the gold winners um, most of whom I haven't managed to speak to yet to congratulate them so um, I've I've worked quite hard around that event to touch base with the individuals. Yeah, I mean, you, as as you say, you you did quite a lot of preparation beforehand, and you you called me and we had a we had a chat, and you told me to look out for for you, and you'd be having you'd have your bright pink cane with you, which you did, so I knew who you were. <laughs> mm, absolutely, yeah. And um, and obviously that that has led to to you being on my podcast today. So that's something that's that's come out of the the networking, isn't it? Yeah, and I got a press release, which somebody kindly sort of tweaked for me. I managed to get an interview on BBC Radio Berkshire, and somebody then phoned and asked if I would do the talk for their local ME support group, which I kind of had assumed was in Berkshire, but actually she used to live in Berkshire. She now lives in Wales. Oh. <laughs> um, so, But that then meant I can probably refer those people over to different um practitioners so it's a great um opportunity what's going to come of that yet i don't entirely know yeah Um, but yeah you never know what's going to come of these things and it it is how you leverage it and i'm starting to learn that because i've won awards before and just didn't and i thought oh they'll bring me the clients they'll bring me the business but the awards themselves don't it's what you do with it that's right yeah yeah you have you have to put the effort in don't you very much so, but it's a feather in your cap and you sort of have to be comfortable blowing your trumpet a little bit, really. Yes, <laughs> you do. So finally, Sarah, if people are interested in finding out more about uh, about your business, you know, um, about the pain side of it or the sight loss side of it, what's the best way for people to, to find you? Um, give me a ring um, on 07 four seven seven nine or you can drop me an email to hello at dr sarah brian.com doctor just being dr sarah with an h and brian a b-r-y-a-n so hello at dr sarah brian.com or you can go to my website which is dr sarah brian.com and all those contact details are there as well Lovely. Well, thank you very much for being my guest. And um, I hope that we might meet again uh, in the future. 
Hopefully so, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Small Business Big Network. If you found this podcast useful, please do rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share it with the rest of your network too.